Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So I think it's really important at the start of a new year to really remember who we are in God, remember uh, who Christ is. Uh, Di Waldridge, who we use her video of his in our Christmas um, carol service, has just done a fantastic Bible in four minutes. Okay, So if you've never read the Bible or only read parts of it, you're going get, to get to whistle-stop through the Bible now in four minutes. Okay, And we're going to come back and have a think about this. So um, if you can dim the lights for me, um, pump up the volume, and we're going to listen to Di as he whizzes us through the, the big story that's revealed uh, in the Bible. Right at the start, the original orator set out solar systems with stanzas, and from the dust he formed us as the ultimate reflection of his perfection. Until the cataclysmic mistake, with the snake spoiling the truth and speaking the fake news, knowledge misused and trust abused, sin goes viral. Yet a seed sown, pointing to a promise of a rescuer homegrown. They wait. Time passes, Abe gets the call up. Then Isaac to Jacob, God wrestler. The providence of God sees Joe go from prisoner to prime minister. 400 years pass, then a 10 plague standoff. Israel's shackles come free. Moses leads the way as God's centre parts the sea to Sinai. A ten-part moral compass, twelve I spies, forty years in the wilderness, they wait. Moses to Joshua, the baton gets passed, promised land with milk and honey on tap. Judges lead, then it all falls apart. People want a king, on paper Saul's mustard, but he wrecks the gig. Psalm singer David gets crowned and convicted. Temple gets built, but Solomon's conflicted. Kingdom divides, God's people get evicted. Daniel naps in a lion's den. Seventy years pass, God brings them back then. Temple ruins get erected. A wall gets built, Jerusalem's protected, and they... Wait. 400 years pass. Enter magnificent maker of everything. Wrapped in linen cloths are beauty spots. Riffs off Isaiah broke bread with outcasts. Healed abseiling paralytics who picked up their own mats. Passover palm leaves, then Passover to Gethsemane. To handcuffs, to trial, as Peter denies. On my mother's life, I've not even met the guy. Then crucified, love laid out his arms with one final cry, it is finished. But on the third day, hope reinstated with victory on display as the Messiah's stone rolled away and before Jesus ascended, he says, wait. The spirits open in ceremony display. Tongues of fire, the works of a people full of praise. Stephen martyred, church close to despair, till Paul U-turns preaching the gospel everywhere. Church as community, radical diversity, and this is our part in the unfolding story. Now spirit sealed and for God's glory we participate, yet we still 
Wait. And off the Isle of Patmos, Apostle John got a snapshot of how it all ends and it's gonna be worth the wait. Sin's death grip will cease. No more tears with fears forgotten and baggage sent packing as the community of grace-gifted misfits welcome in the homecoming. From despair there'll be perfect repair and hope will be there as the highlight for all time. Ease the promise became pillar to the plotline. The living vine, original orator, solar system setter outer, the dust former and people potter. Word became flesh. Put to death, yet raised, so one day we may raise in him. So we raise our lives as an offering of praise for the one who's worth the wait. Wonderful uh, animation there. Particular, a guy called um, Andy Toovey put the animations to Di Waldridge's uh, words. And Di did that video to hopefully re-inspire you and I to reconnect with the Bible story, the big story that's revealed in the Bible. Um, I don't know how you feel about the Bible at the start of 2023. You might, have, uh, you might still be passionately reading it. You might be reading it occasionally. You might have fallen out of love with it. You might find it really difficult to read, really difficult to connect with. You might have only ever read parts of the Bible. You might have found bits of the Bible really confusing, uh, even disturbing. And so be interesting at the start of this year, where are you in relation to that collection of books that we call the Bible that we can have in a, a physical form, we can have on our phones? The Bible is like no other book that you're ever going to read. Because it, it's a collection of books, that's what the word means. Bibliography, that's what the, the root word is there. Bible, a library of books. 66 different books brought together into one place. The key thing about the Bible that we always have to remember, particularly as we enter a, a new year, is, as the Bible Project says beautifully, it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's what the Bible is. It's a unified story. All these different writings, different authors, different times, different writing styles, brought together as a unified story that always leads to Jesus. You might have stopped reading your Bible because you've lost sight of that fact. You've lost sight of the fact that actually this is pointing you to a person pointing you to an encounter with a living person, a resurrected person, a person who we can encounter by his spirit. So I want to encourage you at the start of this year, how can you re-engage with this story? How can you re-engage with this overall narrative that points to a real person, a living person that you and I can encounter And there's lots of resources out there to help you. You might have got stuck. You might have read something that you didn't understand. You might have thought that reading the Bible in a year and you got as far as Leviticus and just ground to a halt or numbers or a strange book in the Old Testament that you couldn't really see had any application. So you just stopped, you ground to a halt and the Bible went on the shelf or the bedside table and that's where it sat ever since. 
The Bible is a really difficult read without help. It's a really difficult read. And often the church has thought the best thing we can do is just put a Bible in someone's hand and hope for the best. But actually, the Bible is a really difficult read without help. That's why we do preachers, to try and encourage each other in the Word, to try and help unpack what's in all those different writing styles and all those different pages. So I want to encourage you at the start of the year, what resource could help you to re-engage with your Bible? You know, what could you find that might help you to reconnect with this story that always leads to Jesus? The Bible Project is a fantastic place to start. They've got lots of different reading plans on there, lots of different videos that are helpful to help us remember what this story is about. Some of the overarching themes in Scripture are really hard to see without a guide, without someone helping you through uh, to discover where is Jesus in the story of the wilderness? Where is Jesus uh, in these different Old Testament stories? Where is Jesus as the new church is being birthed? Where is Jesus in the book of Revelation? Where is this story continually pointing to? Because the one thing you need to remember, it's only Jesus that makes sense of the story. It's only Jesus that makes sense of the story. Whenever we see any divergence between Jesus and what we read on the page of our Bibles, we have to remember it's Jesus who's the paragon, the, 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 the top of God's revelation of who he is. And sometimes we get stuck around a difficult passage in the Old Testament and we think, is God really like that? Was God really like that? Did God really say that? We have to remember that Jesus is our guide. We come back to the person of Jesus. And it's only Jesus who reflects God perfectly. So whenever we see something inconsistent and we struggle, we can say, Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus. Help me come back to the person of Jesus. Because what we often forget, and we've talked about it before, is the humanity in the Bible. The humanness in the Bible, the way the Bible was written down, the way the Bible was recorded, the styles of the Bible, the people involved in the Bible, the ancient context of the Bible, the political stage of the Bible, the humanity of the Bible, we often get stuck on. But actually, it always leads us to Jesus. The famous theologian John Stott said, it's like a portrait, a landscape portrait. And in the centre of the portrait is a figure, and that figure is Jesus. And the, the landscape and the setting of the scripture always helps us focus on the person of Jesus. So when you read something in your Bible that's a bit inconsistent with maybe what Jesus modelled to us, you have to say, well, what's going on here? What's the ancient context? What's the, where, why is there a divergence here? Where is the humanity present in these writings? What was the ancient worldview that was taking place as I read these writings? So an overarching principle you can think about as you think about your Bible at the start of this year is how does it draw me more towards loving God and how does it draw me more towards loving people? How is, how is my engagement with the Bible going to help draw me more towards loving God and more towards loving people? Because if this story is true, this story that's revealed in the Bible, this overarching story which dies compressed into four minutes, if this story of God's engagement with humanity is true, then we're faced with the question I talked about in our carol service. What's our role in the story? 
What's your role in the story? Because if the story is true, then you and I are drawn into a much bigger narrative than our own plans, our own lives. We're drawn up into God's story, the big story for all of creation that you and I are part of. And we can't disengage with that fact if we believe that actually the gospel is true and God is real and there is a story of redemption and reconciliation throughout history, then you and I are part of that story. We're on the pitch and we're playing. We can't stand on the sidelines. We're not subbed on the bench. We're on the pitch. We're active in the story of God. And so what's our role in that story? What's our role in the story in this new year? What does God have for us? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you this morning, and we've already talked about it briefly, is I think our first role in the story is to come to the person of Jesus. There's a personal invitation from Jesus to you this morning. A personal invitation. It's got your name on it. Nobody else's. A personal invitation from Jesus to you saying, come to me. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew recorded in his gospel. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So who should be responding to this invitation? All who are weary and burdened. I don't know one person who doesn't qualify for this invitation. I don't know one person who doesn't experience some weariness and some burden in their lives. True? Weariness arrives in different ways in our lives. And every time it comes, it kind of, it can diminish us. It can deplete us. At the end of a year, we can feel incredibly weary with just doing life, just the amount of stuff that we have to carry and that we're involved in. And lots of that can be really good stuff and really positive stuff, but it can weary us. We can be weary by disappointment when the expectations that we've had about certain things just haven't been met. And so we carry that weariness of, of disappointment and disillusionment. We expected so much, but we felt we received very little. We can experience a weariness of illness. We can be carrying long-term illnesses or health conditions that can really weigh heavy upon us and, and make us weary. We can even be weary through fruitfulness, being busy and successful and, and doing the things of the kingdom can still create a weariness within us because of the sheer amount of work and the life exchange that's involved in kingdom activity. And sometimes, you know, God's running and we're running to keep up, aren't we? We're running to catch up and, it, and it's, it's tiring. The kingdom is expanding and growing and we're trying to keep pace with the activity of God and, and he can wear us out. So we can all feel weariness to some degree and weariness can come to us in different forms and it can overwhelm us. It can steal our sense of joy. 
we can find it difficult to find pleasure in things because weariness weighs upon us and, and steals that joy from us. And it can also diminish our expectation of anything good happening because we, we're just weary. We're just weary with the next thing. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. At the start of the year, you're probably tempted to make all sorts of plans and habits and resolutions, and you've got your plans sorted out and your goals, yeah? One person, okay. Um, <laughs> trust me, most people in January are planning their holidays, they're planning their routines, they're planning their, they've joined, rejoined the gym, they've done all these things, they've got all these great expectations and aspirations about what they're going to do to make their life better than it was in 2022, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so and, 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 and the world is feeding you all this stuff that you can do and all these things that you need to do and all these things that are going to make your life better and make you feel better, make you feel happier. Make, all these things are coming at you at this time in the year. And some of those things are good. You know, it's good to have goals. It's good to have healthy habits and all these sort of things. But what none of those things will do is bring rest to our souls. What our souls crave... The, the spiritual component of us, if you like, it craves soul rest. It craves real rest. It hung, hungers for a place where it feels reconciled and at peace. And that's what Jesus is offering to us when he, he extends this invitation to you. In the midst of our weariness, he says, come to me and I will give you what your soul craves. I will give you true rest a true place of centering where you can feel you've come to peace. The message translation does a beautiful job of of rewriting this and puts it this way. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Is that a beautiful invitation? Jesus promises that as we, as we connect with him, as we yoke ourselves to him, he'll bring real rest to our souls, the thing that we really hunger and crave for in our innermost being, to be reconciled at peace with God. And the word yoke there means, we've used it before, to couple together. And Jesus used it because people were familiar with these creatures. They were familiar with oxen and cattle being yoked together. The wooden thing that linked the two oxen together. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, Couple yourself to me. Connect yourself to me. Now, over the years, I've heard many references that people saying how great the old ox is at training the young ox. But in truth, the old ox cannot train the young ox. He doesn't sit him down and say, right, let me teach you about plowing. Today we're going to do straight lines. Tomorrow we're going to do good turns. No, all that happens is the farmer connects 
the young and experienced ox to the ox who's been doing it for years. And the ox who's been doing it for years does what he does. He walks in a straight line. He responds to the farmer's commands. He gets on with the job. The inexperienced ox doesn't really have a choice, does he? (laughs) He has to go where the more experienced ox goes. He has to walk the same tempo. He has to do the same hours. He has to stop and start as the experienced ox does his thing. The young ox learns by being connected, joined to the older ox. And Jesus knew this is a powerful metaphor when he talked about it. He said, if you'll connect yourself to me, then you'll learn a rhythm of life and a tempo of life and a way of doing life that will be better for you, that will actually bring rest to your souls. The young ox couldn't stand on the sidelines and watch the older ox do his job and think, I've got it now, I know what to do, I know how to play. He has to be connected to the ox who knows how to do it. And we need to be connected to someone who knows how to do life. Amen? We do. We need, to, we, need a, we need to find someone who can lead us through the complexities of life. And lots of people offer to be our guide. Lots of people offer to be the lead. But actually, the only person truly qualified is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why he extends the invitation to you and to me. Come to me, yoke yourself to me, join yourself to me, and then fall in step with the way I do life. Not because I want to imprison you or, or capture you or limit you, or, but the way I do life, the pace at which I th- walk through life, is the best pace to do it. It's the best way to do it. And when I stop, it's a good time to stop. When I start, it's a good time to start. And that's what the ox learns, and that's what Jesus encourages you and I into, this connected relationship. Learn from me, Jesus said, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Who better to be yoked to at the start of a new year? Who better to be connected to? Jesus is not an overbearing teacher. He's not a bully. He's not someone who seeks to manipulate or control you. He's gentle and fully qualified to lead you through life. Because of his humanity, he can associate with every part of your story, every part of your experience he can associate with, he can empathise with, he can understand. He's the best person qualified to journey with you through life. Our souls, they hunger for rest, but what we often feed them is activity, don't we? We feed them more and more activity, more and more content, more and more things to try and deal with the hunger. The pressure to do something is a constant taskmaster, isn't it? We feel it always before us. If we're not doing something, we're not watching something, we're not consuming something, then we're, we're missing out or we're, we're not being productive. Yet busyness can create a real barrenness in the soul. It can empty our souls rather than fill them. And because we feel more empty we turn to more activity, and in a vicious cycle, we find ourselves. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a lady, a woman 
standing at the head of a busy street, crying out for anyone to hear her. It says this, Lady Wisdom goes out in the streets and shouts. At the town centre, she makes her speech. In the middle of the traffic, she takes her stand. At the busiest corner, she calls out. About face, I can revise your life. Look, I'm ready to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm ready to tell you all I know. As it is, I've called, but you've turned a deaf ear. I've reached out to you, but you've ignored me. It's in the busiest places in our lives that wisdom cries out to us. Jesus calls out to us. He stands at the busiest corners of our lives and says, will you come to me? I am ready to teach you everything I know. I am ready to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm ready to show you how to do life. And our role at that point is to respond to the invitation, to listen out for the voice shouting in our busy streets, am I going to respond to wisdom? Because the invitation is to trade your overstretched life for a life that's fallen in with the rhythm of God, to walk in step with Jesus. You'll find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So to be yoked to Jesus is much better than being yoked to business or to activity because that's an ill-fitting yoke. It doesn't, it doesn't fit with us. It doesn't, it doesn't sit with us. It just drives us on. Busyness or religion or any other man-made food that we cram into our souls to satisfy the hunger will never, ever give us soul rest. In fact, it's like drinking salt water. It just makes you thirstier and hungrier and more empty. And Jesus knows these ill-fitting yokes were never designed for us to live under. So he says, come to me. Let me give you a yoke that fits, that's light and easy and brings you into step with me. You see, if you live under the yoke of culture and the expectation of culture, it will, it will crush you. It will crush you. The burden of achieving and conforming and consuming, appearing to trying to earn acceptance and value, all these ill-fitting yokes will eventually crush you. But Jesus said, my yoke is the light yoke. It's the easy yoke. Because he knew that our deepest, deepest need is for connection with the Father's love to bring our souls to rest. So you might hunger for all sorts of things at the start of this year. You might hunger for for meaning. You know, how am I going to achieve? What am I going to do to make a real difference? You might hunger for relationship. You might hunger for love. You might hunger for resources. You might hunger for money. You might hunger for a better job. You might hunger for a whole load of things. But underneath all that is a hunger in the soul that only Jesus can satisfy. So the first part of the story, I think for us at the start of this year, where do we fit into God's story, is how do we respond to that invitation? Our first job, our first role 
is how do I respond to that invitation that Jesus said, come to me, come to me, yoke yourself in me, walk with me. How am I going to respond to that invitation at the start of this year? And the second part of the invitation and the story, I think, is we need to be church. I was tempted to put come to church because it would have been nice to come to Jesus, but, you know, a bit of alliteration goes a long way in a sermon. But we don't come to church, do we? Because we are church. We are church. The people are church. You are church. You, you are church. You, don't, you come to a building, but you don't come to church because you are, the people are the church. We are the church. And so we're called to be church. Di Waldridge said in that video, he said, church is community, radical diversity, and this is our part in the unfolding story. Which I thought was a beautiful phrase. Church is community, radical diversity. We take our part in the unfolding story. A key way that God's story is expressed is through church, is through bringing together people and unifying them around Jesus Christ. And this radical community and diversity is a signpost to the whole universe of God's wisdom. It's a signpost to the all of creation. God just says, look at this. Look at this wonderful thing I've created called church. The Apostle Paul describes it in his letter to the church Ephesus. He says this. He says his intent, that's God's intent, was that now through the church, that's you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You are God's showcase to the whole of creation. God's manifold wisdom is the church. And so everything you can see, everything you can't see, this is a signpost saying, this is my wisdom. So the way we gather, the way we relate, the way we love, the way we support, the way we reach out, the way we encourage, the way we forgive, the way we serve, all that is a signpost to the whole of creation of God's manifold wisdom. You are God's best idea this morning. Now, I used to think the word manifold there meant like obvious. You know, it's obvious the church is God's best idea. But actually the word in the Greek is a nice word, multifarious. All say multifarious? Multifarious. Anybody know what multifarious means? I had to look it up as well. It means lots of different types and sorts. Lots of different types and sorts. Another way of translating it is much variegated. Anybody a gardener? You know what variegated plants are? All sorts of different colours and streaks within them. So it literally means the church looks a bit like this. To God. It's a beautiful patchwork of colour and variegation and just this beautiful artwork in the spiritual realm. This is the manifold, multifarious wisdom of God. And where we've got it wrong over the past is we thought actually church is all about little lines and cubicles and things chopped up and shaped the same way and cookie-cutter approach to people. And we think that's actually how church should be. We all should be this 
uniform thing. But actually, God says no. The wisdom of the church is to bring together this beautiful diversity unified around the person of Jesus. So the church is never, ever supposed to be uniform. The church is supposed to be unified. You are not supposed to be like the person next to you. Have a look and see why. (laughs) You are utterly unique. You're made unique in God's sight. You are supposed to be you in your beautiful uniqueness. You are not supposed to be the person next to you. They're not supposed to be you. Have a look at this beautiful picture for a second and think about maybe a part of it or a colour of it. Think, where am I in this picture? What would I be in this picture? What would, you know, what would my part be? You might be a splodge. You might be a streak. You might be a certain colour, a certain expression. The wisdom of God that he displays to the whole universe is that he brings together this beautiful diversity and he unifies it around Christ. And he says to the universe, look at what I've done. I've made this beautiful artwork called church, of which you are all, in your beautiful uniqueness, a part of. That's the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. Jesus honours your uniqueness. He celebrates your uniqueness, the beautiful colour or expression that you are. And God says, isn't it wonderful that all this can be brought together and unified around my son Jesus? Look heavens, look earth, look what I've done. Look at my wonderful plan, my beautiful artwork. I call it church. And that's what God is shouting aloud to the heavens about you, about what he's done through the person of Jesus Christ, held together through the love of his son. So as you think about being part of Riverside this year, don't think that we have a master plan to make you into a certain type of person. Because... I haven't got the energy, and I don't want to make you into a certain type of person. We want to honour your God-given uniqueness and allow you to express the call upon your life in this beautiful, beautiful artwork called church. Christianity isn't about being conformed into a certain type of thing. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through your uniqueness And let God bring you into a fullness of life and expression. Because your uniqueness is what God wants. Because you're uniquely qualified to do certain things with certain people at certain times. Imagine if we were all the same. What a nightmare that would be, wouldn't it? We'd all be trying to occupy the same space. We'd all be trying to do the same thing. But as it is, our uniqueness allows us, our diversity allows us to all occupy these different spaces in God's economy in God's kingdom. So your beautiful colour and your shape and the way God's made you allows you to fit into God's story. And that's what church really is all about. So just have a think about 
What's my part in the artwork this year? How can I use my unique God-given gifts and talents and opportunities to express what God may want me to do? See, connecting with Jesus and connecting with this beautiful community called church, it qualifies us then to go out into what I've called the last thing, go to others. Our role in the story is to go to others. Someone once said this, God's path for your life is a collision course. The intersection where your gift crashes into the world's need is where you truly begin to live. So you're uniquely qualified to connect with a need that's going on in the world that God sees and God wants to mobilize you into. And our lives truly begin when we live for something more than ourselves. That's where life truly begins, when we live beyond ourselves and for something more than ourselves. That's where we begin to find real value and real contribution. And you have unique gifts that God wants to use to bless people around you. Just reflect for a moment on on your circles, the people that you know in your family, the people that you know in your neighbourhoods, the people you know in your workplaces, the people that you rub shoulders with. What gifts or talents or experience might you have that can connect with their world, that can bring God's love to them? How could you bring life to the people around you? You have a significant contribution to make in God's story. We all do. We all have a significant contribution to make in God's story. You might have disqualified yourself for a whole variety of reasons, but you're uniquely qualified where God has placed you and what God wants to do through you. Ephesians 2.20 says this, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared unique things for you in this year good works that you can step into as you allow the Spirit to lead you. Unique things that only you can do. It might be as simple as a conversation, asking somebody how they are at work or to a neighbour. It might just be a simple prayer. It might be noticing a person in need. It might be the simplest thing, but you'll be uniquely placed and uniquely qualified to do it. So think about this year, guys. Think about your role in the story. How are you going to respond to the invitation of Jesus? How are you going to respond to that invitation to come to him and receive soul rest? What's it going to look like to to be church? Perhaps your view of church needs to change. Perhaps the understanding how God sees church will, will change how you see church. And again, you'll allow yourself to maybe appreciate how God's uniquely made you and all the beautiful things that you carry. And then from that platform of community and connection, then going to those around us and and taking God's love, being a conduit, a change agent for our coastlands. 
God signed you up to be an agent of hope for this area, to take that hope more than ever. Our world needs hope, doesn't it? It needs hope. And you can carry a hope wherever you are, whatever community you go to. You can carry God's hope into that place. And you can be a catalyst for transformation in our coastlands. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.